Welcome to the Game Plan Podcast with Judah Newby and Brian Perkins, breaking down all things Seahawks. Thirteen weeks complete in the NFL regular season and the Seahawks coming off their biggest win of the year, taking down the top team in the NFL in terms of record, the Philadelphia Eagles, by two touchdowns at home on Sunday night football. And the headlines out of Seattle are the Seahawks are back. The season ended today. Seattle would be a wild card team, the fifth seed in the NFC. They continue to keep pace with the Rams one game behind L.A., for the lead of the NFC West Division. Of course, they have a home game looming with L.A. in two weeks' time. But first up, a road trip to Jacksonville. Alongside Brian Perkins, I'm Judah Newby. Of course, we were all very interested to see how the Seahawks would fare against Philadelphia on Sunday Night Football. They ultimately fare very well with a two-touchdown win. Let's start with the game itself, Perkins. What stood out to you about the victory? Well, uh, I think we need to start defensively. Yeah. You know, they shut down the run game. I mean, what a, what a defensive effort. Bobby Wagner stands out, right? I mean, he led the team in tackles again. He had well, he was had two tackles for a loss, was involved in another one. He was outstanding and definitely made his case for defensive player of the year, as he has all season long. Uh, but he did it in prime time again. So hopefully that'll help bolster that a little bit. But, you know, uh, having Shaq Griffin back was a really big deal. Byron Maxwell played really well in his revenge game. Um, you know, clearly this defense is not going to be the same without, uh, you know, two-thirds of your legion of boom. But Shaq Griffin now has, what, 12 pass breakups this season, which is third most in the NFL. I mean, this is a guy that is a rookie. Trial by fire. Not only does he have to play opposite of Richard Sherman, so he's constantly getting top receivers on his side of the field. Sherman goes down with the injury. He's pretty much your number one guy now um, with, you know, and he's – filled in admirably so you know I think that your first takeaway has to be this was one of those offenses that you and I talked about last week that on it, they, they can get you in so many ways not only can they get you in the passing attack the running game Carson Wentz can use his legs like we saw a little bit in that game he's a big guy he's hard to bring down but the pass rush was there they were aggressive against the run game none of their running backs did anything of note really outside of a few what nine or ten yard runs I mean what an effort defensively to really shut down Philadelphia and then making every blade of grass count with the uh, with the fumble out of the back of the end zone for a touchback. I mean, just incredible. Seattle controlled this game from start to finish on both sides of the ball, but primarily defensively, Seattle controlled that entire football game. They really did. And I was actually more impressed with the second half defense than I was the first half defense. For one, I was surprised at Philly's offensive game plan. It seemed to be a little bit conservative. Um, a lot of trying to run the football in the first half. And honestly, they ran it pretty effectively in the first half to the point where Seattle at halftime, Sheldon Richardson said after the game that at halftime they were getting chewed out for their run defense because it wasn't up to par. And yet the Eagles only scored three points in that first half. Um, you know, they they got multiple drives into Seattle territory before the defense was able to, to stiffen up. And to be honest, the pass rush was much better in the second half than it was the first half as well. Um, Sheldon Richardson continues to be very disruptive in that category. But I also probably got most fired up at the blitz packages that Chris Richard brought. Apparently, he's been pretty conservative in terms of his game planning on defense the last two and a half to three games. And for this Philly game, 
he brought a couple of nice blitzes, including K.J. Wright coming on a rush, Bobby Wagner coming on a rush, and it stopped Philly on a few critical fourth downs, too. Fourth downs that looked open on the little loop ball to Kenyon Barner in the fourth quarter that was incomplete because of a K.J. Wright rush. Uh, he brought Bradley McDougald on a rush on a fourth down, too. I think Chris Richard really had probably his best game plan, and the Seattle defense executed it really well. And it was K.J. Wright in his 100th start for Seattle, believe it or not. Wow. How insane is that? Yeah. That he's played a – I guess, the, you know, playing in the playoffs helped. They played like an entire season, basically, the last five years. But – you know, KJ Wright was fantastic as well. There were so many players. McDougal, how big McDougal of an upgrade played well. Yeah. Is an up, how big of an upgrade is he from where they were last year? Mm-hmm. You know, if, um, when a safety went out, either or. <laughs> so, I mean, I was just very impressed. And we got a prop and, to John Schneider for that signing for yeah. going out and getting a guy like that. Well, understanding that, yeah, you have your two franchise guys back there at, at both of your safety positions, but neither of them are getting any younger. Mm-hmm. Both of them now have history uh, of, of injuries. If you, you know, go with Earl Thomas's leg injury from last year. So, you know, that was smart. You know, you really had to have an insurance policy there and it worked well for them. So, I mean, just a, a really good defensive effort overall, a good game plan. This was the best coach Seahawks game all season, in my opinion. And when you talk about two weeks ago, a pivotal home game against Atlanta with all the coaching blunders that happened, it was a masterpiece from that coaching staff on Sunday night. Yeah, it really was. I couldn't agree more. I thought Atlanta was Pete Carroll's worst game as a as a coach in terms of in-game strategy. Um, and Sunday night was one of his best. Um, you know, Byron Maxwell, to your point, I think he did play well. Nice that he got the interception. However, he was the one that got burned on Philly's lone touchdown drive of the game in which they converted a third and 13 and a third and 14, and both passes were in Byron Maxwell's direction. Uh, The third and 14, I think, from Philly's deep in their own territory was a miracle job by Carson Wentz to avoid a rush, and while he was getting wrapped up from behind, kind of just heaved it uh, with his right arm 40 yards down the field to Nelson Aguilar. Byron Maxwell couldn't be able to play on that ball. He misplayed the ball. Aguilar gets a big play. A couple plays later, it's third and 13. Maxwell gets caught up in a little bit of a, you know, pick play that he could have avoided and gets burned by Aguilar for the touchdown. But it was both on third and ridiculously longs, which made that hurt even more. That being said, he got the interception, obviously, late in the game with about two minutes left. And overall, this was his best game as a Seahawk since returning. Yeah, and I think that, and I agree with you, that he didn't play a perfect game by any means, but... With where Seattle is with their injuries, I don't think we can expect that. The way that Seattle played, now if you hold teams to 10 points, like if Seattle is able to hold teams to 10 points, they're going to win the Super Bowl because their offense is going to score more than 10 points, but usually. But with that being said, like I, I think that the expectations do have to be tempered a bit defensively, right? Like This is not going to be most likely a top five, top even top 10 defense probably. But if the offense can continue to you know, be aggressive and put points on the boards, that might not matter. But, you know, you force multiple turnovers in a game, um, you know, for the most part, you play pretty buttoned up, and you're going to give your team a chance to win. And I think that's, at least that's my expectation defensively. Now, when you're going up against the Blake Bortles this week, maybe <laughs> you hope that you can play a little tighter. But I think that with where this team is at right now, despite the fact that there were, and there was the blown coverage on the overthrow by Wentz, that should have been, that probably would have been a touchdown in the first quarter. Um you know, but with all that being said, I thought the defense played really well. I did as well. Wentz throws the ball 45 times in this game, 29 of 45, 7.7 7 
yards per attempt, had a touchdown, had a pick, sacked three times, twice by Frank Clark and one by uh, Justin Coleman. QBR 53.8, QB rating of 86.2. Really a stellar job all around by the uh, Seattle defense. And a lot of those stats, by the way, came late in that game yep. when things didn't matter. Like, he, he threw for under 50 yards in the first half. Like, he did nothing. And they had three points going into the fourth quarter. Yeah. That's, so, I mean, for a team that was averaging like 33 points a game. Yeah. I mean, I, I get that he ended up putting up some decent stats, and this is nothing against Wentz. I think he's a very, very, very good quarterback. Really? But His only great stat was yards, 348, and that's because it was pass heavy second half. That's all. It had to be, especially yeah. late in the fourth quarter. Right. And Seattle was playing, you know, I don't know if it was prevent necessarily, but they were definitely giving cushion and allowing them to drive. They were like, yeah, take all the time you want. Now, I will say, most important play of the game, probably the Wentz fumble at the goal line. He scores that. It's a one-score game. You know, Seattle is on the ropes a little bit, second half, and yet that fumble that ends up going out the back of the end zone led to a Seattle touchdown, and they really had to control the game after that point. Wentz doesn't fumble that ball, we might be talking about, well, I know we're talking about a different game flow and game script. We might be talking about a different result. Without a doubt. Seattle offensively. Pretty good. Pretty good. We talk about the job that Chris Richard and uh, Pete Carroll did. Eagles defense scared me, and I have a lot of respect for Jim Schwartz as a defensive coordinator. But Seattle came out and had a nice offensive game plan, and this had to have been one of Russell Wilson's best games of the season, if not the best. Finishing 20 of 31, only 227 yards through the air, but the three touchdowns, and overall just a little bit of magic when he had to have it. Indeed. I mean, he played like an MVP. On Sunday, yeah, you know, um, I, 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 he was in the zone. I mean, it's, and and it, he was he was in the zone the entire game, which is something that I think that we have not seen in a long time from him. Um, and it was great to see, you know. And I think that early on in that game, getting him started, you know, the first play of the game's a uh, designed run for Russell Wilson. I mean, and he gets what eight yards out of it. I mean, it's a great thing. So I think that we're learning a couple things here. First of all, you have to let Russ control the game. Don't try to run the ball three times in a, in a cloud of dust uh, to establish the run early in a game. You have a franchise quarterback. Use him. Also, imagine that. You have a competent left tackle, and this is what Russell Wilson can do. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, The offensive line is still having its moments. It's still probably just an average offensive line in the NFL, which is better than it was for most of the year. But, man, Dwayne Brown is a special player, and he's allowed nine pressures since um, being in Seattle, which is, like, so low compared to where they were if you look at other left someone said Riso Odiombo once allowed ten pressures in a game. Yeah, I think that was Hawk <laughs> Blogger on, uh, on, was that uh, on Twitter. Yeah, Na- with Nemhauser? Yeah, so he, you know, he always does great stats after the game, and so props to him for finding that one. But, yeah, he had, like, ten in a game, I think, Odiombo did. So, you know, Wilson... Yes, he flushed out of the pocket, but I also thought that Afedi has learned a lot this year, and he's still eh, shaky. I noticed you had an observation about him on Twitter. I did, yeah, because there was one play in particular early in that game where, you know, and it's so tough for an offensive lineman playing with a guy like Wilson, right? Because he's so squirrely, and he'll flush out of the pocket, and all of a sudden you have a defensive lineman that's, like, headed in his, you know, like, trying to— immediately change direction and it looks like holding because you're you know you're going up against them you're maybe grabbing a little jersey or whatever and I thought a Fetty on one play in particular really stood out where Russ flushed out to the right side of the field and he immediately just let go of his guy 
knowing that Wilson would probably take care of him and he wasn't close enough to have an effect on the play anyway. That was a play where week two or three, he's getting holding called on him because he's hanging on to him. Mm-hmm. So great awareness and growth, I thought, from Effetti on that play in particular. And the last two weeks, they've had like 10 penalties in both in combined between those two games. So I think you're seeing an improvement from the offensive line from that standpoint, which has allowed these drives to stay alive. And we've seen what happens when that situation occurs. They also did pretty well in the run game for, in terms of blocking, and it was showed Mike Davis is easily the most competent runner that, that they've had in the backfield all year, not named Chris Carson. 16 carries for 64 yards, 4 yards per carry. Now, of course, there was your fair share of 1- and 2-yard runs, as there's been all year, but there was also a couple of really, really nice ones. The 22-yarder, in my opinion, was the best run a Seattle running back has had all year. He had three cuts on that run, one to the inside, another jab step to the outside a la Marshawn Lynch, and then a third to cut and plant and gain another seven more yards up the field. Mike Davis has proved to be, he's a viable running back in this backfield. Now, I know the conversation with this offense has been, let's let it loose air in the football and make it more 35-25 in terms of pass to run. This was 31-25 in terms of total rushes, and that's with six rushes by Russell Wilson, so really only about 20 rushes non-quarterback. 16 of them went to Mike Davis. He goes for four yards a clip. Looks pretty good doing it. It was just enough to where the rushing attack did its job and did it nicely, especially in a game considering they're controlling the game flow, so you want to be able to run the ball and run the clock in the second half. Ultimately, they did well. I was pleasantly surprised. So was I, and Mike Davis in the passing game, by the way, is no slouch either. Um, so, you know, he really adds that element, much like a J.D. McKissick, right? He's not going to necessarily go out wide, though we did see him do that a few times, but he still is a threat, mm-hmm. and it's something the defense has to respect, which takes away a defender for other tasks. So Four catches and four targets, 37 receiving yards for Davis, to your point. Yeah, and the two weeks ago, too, against Atlanta, he uh, looked well, mm-hmm. looked good in the passing game Had a big well. screen catch and then got hurt early third quarter, but before that was making a big difference. I couldn't agree more. Yeah, and—, and it, we're seeing now, though, what I've been hoping for for the last six or seven weeks, and that's not allowing the pass game to complement the run game, but vice versa. And that's exactly what we saw. Now, the second drive, I think they did run. Like, they were inside the 15, and they ran it twice, and it was like third and eight. And it was like, okay, three and out there. But for the most part, the run game complemented the pass game, and they didn't try to force feed Mike Davis, you know, 25 times, which was nice to see. You know, and who talking- knows? Maybe Chris Carson comes back mid to late December and are you talking about having two viable running backs that's something that we can pocket and and revisit because that that could be a possibility I know they're talking about Carson as if he could return yeah definitely so you know I offensively I mean Seattle was in sync Jimmy Graham getting targeted again you know finally they're finally able to kind of incorporate him and he's looked really good the last month and a half or so um and yeah, you know, look I know you make a big deal about the red zone offense as a lot of people have and for good reason but it's been very good lately and yeah. um you know the first quarter touchdown to Jimmy Graham I mean that's just like grade A red zone offense I mean that to be able to execute it as well as they did there was really nice to see they also you know got the ball deep in the red zone on the big throw to Doug Baldwin and he ends up on review being out of bounds at the one. They struggled to punch it in on that. You know, they needed first and second down to set up third and goal before the Tyler Lockett drag across the field. But ultimately, they still converted on that. One of the three touchdown passes for Russell Wilson. Um, I think Daryl Bevel is starting to hit his stride a little bit more as a play caller now, too. And 
everybody just seems a little bit more comfortable with each other, a little bit more confident, and it sure helps that Wilson's playing at his level. But this has got to be the most optimistic we felt about Seattle's offense all season long. Yeah, I, I still don't understand why you would ever go cover zero against Russell Wilson. He makes you pay every damn time, and it's always the Doug Baldwin yeah. <laughs> every time. And that's exactly what happened on that play where he ended up being out, and that was the right call at the one-yard you know, the one yard line or whatever. But, I mean, look, it's just a, a great effort. And, you know, I think that it was great to see Seattle showed up. You were right. I was wrong with the prediction, and you were right in a lot of ways, too, about the way the game went. I know you thought it would be closer in the end, but you were right about the way Seattle kind of jumped out to the lead and, you know— looked good to start the game and even drives save their second one of the game that they weren't getting in the end zone or you know kicking a field goal they still were getting down the field and they were playing the field position game you yeah know? they weren't it wasn't first and 20 it wasn't first and 25 and you're punt you know John Ryan's punting out of his end zone four times in a game they're getting to the 35 the 40 yard line midfield and punting and that really makes a big difference yeah, it makes a huge difference. Uh, Philly still outgains them 425 to 310. Philly outpossesses them in terms of time of possession. And Philly outgains them in terms of first downs 25 to 20. But this was still a game controlled by the Seahawks. And it was really, really nice to see. I haven't been able to say that for a while. All right. So, big picture, Perkins. The best team in the NFL came into CenturyLink Field and got handled on Sunday Night Football by the Seahawks. Are the Seahawks back? No. I'm not ready to say it because um, last year I said it after they beat the Patriots. You go into New England, you get that win. You and I were talking about like, wow, this is, I mean, Seattle needs a one seed and blah, 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 and this and that. A great win for the Seahawks. They're clearly a playoff caliber team, and this win goes a long way towards them getting into the postseason. Obviously gives them, um, you know, if you're talking about percentages and things like that, the odds of them getting in are much higher now than they were. And it was a very important win. But to me, it's hard to get too high on it when there's still so much work left to do. It's not like now they get the, you know, the Niners, the Cardinals, uh, the second half version of the Tennessee Titans, <laughs> you know, to close out the year. You have to go on the road to Jacksonville, Dallas. You have the Rams at home. There's still a lot of work to do and a lot left to prove to me. Um and right now, you know, I'm hearing a lot of stuff chatter about the one seed and this and that. It's like, no, just Make the damn playoffs. Like, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. make the playoffs first. How about that? Just let's start there. Funny you bring up that New England game. That was the last time that Seattle was a six-point underdog or more was that New England game. And they were a six-point underdog for this Philly game. They won both games outright. You know, they they know how to play as an underdog in the rare occasion that they are one, especially by a touchdown. But to your point, after that New England win, they went four and three the rest of the way. Now, of course, losing Earl Thomas in the Carolina blowout win hurt against Green Bay, and it hurt against Arizona when they ultimately lose that game on Christmas Eve. Um, but that felt like the biggest win of the season, winning at New England when New England was coming off a bye. You know, yeah. and all the narratives about Seattle and pursuing the one seed potentially, you know, were alive and well at that point, and they end up going four and three the rest of the way. Now, this feels like the biggest win of the season to date. At Jacksonville versus Los Angeles Rams. At Dallas with Zeke and versus the Arizona Cardinals. You're saying you're, you've are you got tempered expectations because, in your mind, the team isn't still playing from a position of strength right now. They're still playing with a lot to prove. I feel like there's still a lot to prove. And on both sides of the ball, you know? I think that 
You know, will the offensive line hold up? Big test. A big test this yeah. weekend against the best defensive line in the NFL. Bigger test to go on the road against Jacksonville's defensive line than playing at home for Phillies. I mean, those are two very, very good defensive lines. They they really are. I mean, but you know, you're on the road against a team that's, you know, winning their division right now and is gonna make the playoffs and you know, is having their first 500 or better season in like 12 years or something. I mean, this is with a, team. a player to your point is a historic Russell Wilson home wrecker. Yeah. And, and it's not like Campbell. It's not old Calais Campbell. This is defensive player of the year, Calais Campbell, that's yeah. playing right now. Well, Bobby so, Wagner might have something to say about that. But you know what I mean? I, I mean, do. if you if you are talking about defensive player of the year, uh, Calais Campbell is one of the first names that comes up next to Bobby Wagner. Yeah. So look, I'm excited. I don't want to be like a killjoy here, but. No. You know, I think right now, if Seattle goes two and two the rest of the way and goes ten and six and makes the playoffs, <laughs> I think you're pretty happy about that, given the way their schedule looks. Because yeah, you beat the Eagles, and the Eagles are a really good team, but there's still a lot of football left, and you still have to go win on the road a few times because you gave up some really bad home losses this year. And where does this put the upcoming Rams Eagles matchup Sunday? Eagles, of course, staying on the West Coast, yeah, beat up physically by the Seahawks. Still ten and two with the one seed of the NFC within their sights, going to a Rams squad that lost to Minnesota on the road a couple of weeks ago, but got themselves right at home by beating the Saints in LA. Then they beat the Arizona Cardinals handily on the road. Now they come back home for a big matchup with the Philadelphia Eagles on Sunday in Los Angeles. Yeah, I'm I'm rooting right now for an Eagles win. Mm-hmm. You know, I think that because the priorities got to remain on the division. It has to because then you get a home game. Yeah. A minimum of a home game. Let's say Seattle goes 11-5 and five and wins the division. There's still a chance that they get another home game in the playoffs based on whatever happens, you know, um, in, an, in another round. Mm-hmm. So just because they might have to play wild card weekend doesn't necessarily mean that they won't get another home game or this or that. I just think that, man, I don't know how the expectation could be like going for a one seed. You're two games back with four games to go. I just... You know, I just think that's that's a tough ask with a bad team. NFC record so far. Yeah, with you know three of your best defensive players injured. Yeah, uh, you know you're going to get Zeke Elliott in his first game back. He's going to be a wrecking ball. So I think that that we all need to just breathe. I think Jacksonville is a winnable game, but it it's not going to look like this. I don't think. I mean, I'd be pretty surprised if Seattle won by two touchdowns in Jacksonville. I would. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know? I'd be surprised as well. It'll be fun Sunday afternoon with the Seahawks and Jaguars being a 1 o'clock West Coast kick. I believe it's 105, and the Eagles and Rams being at 125. Yeah. So a pair of really great matchups and great games to keep an eye on simultaneously, if at all possible. Yep, without a doubt. So, you know, I think you got to be excited. Yeah. Enjoy it. It was a great win. Just like the New England game, it was a great win. Enjoy no it. No major injuries for once. <laughs> and I think also what you've learned, though, is is regardless of where Seattle ends up, as long as they make the playoffs, they're going to be a threat. Like, this isn't a team that's you know, on the decline so bad that they'll make the playoffs as a formality at 10 wins because their schedule was easy and then they're going to get the blow- the doors blown off, you know. I yeah. think that this is a team that, you know, even if they're on the road and they're an underdog, if you don't bring your A game, they can beat you. They'll upset you in the playoffs. I sure would like, though, to start the playoffs with a home game. It's hard to win three straight road games. I agree. And, you know, if the Rams lose to Philadelphia – that's a really good opportunity for Seattle. And at the same time, the way the Rams have been playing, I just don't – it's hard for me to envision a narrative wherein the Rams don't win the division, but it's Seattle still has it fully within their grasp. Oh, yeah, they have control. You know? 
Yeah, without a doubt. So but so do the Rams technically have control at this point. Yeah, both teams. Can, <laughs> well, and Seattle gets the Rams at home, which is a big deal. That's a big deal. Absolutely. As long as there's not rain. And Russell Wilson, bona fide MVP candidate. I think that's another major takeaway. It is odd that Seattle Wentz, has... Wentz, Brady, Wilson, that, that's your three right now. Seattle has a, the a top three defensive player of the year candidate and MVP candidate, and they're eight and four. Like, that's just... It's yeah. just weird because neither of them are probably going to win if you only win 10 games. That's true. Got to probably there, win 11. Any chance they go unbeaten the rest of the regular season? Sure. They play the way that they did Sunday. Yeah, without a doubt. But, it, but do you think they'll play that way on the road in two games? I don't. I don't feel comfortable saying that. I don't, I don't feel you. comfortable saying that either. Even I mean, and even if, they if play it was well fully home, healthy, Seattle playing like they were, yeah, with Sherman Cam maybe, or even just Sherman, or even just Cam, yeah. like you know. But I, I, at what point are the injuries too much, and the lack of you know maybe some talent at certain positions on the O line too much? So another good progress was they cut down the penalties. Huge, nice. huge, huge deal. Which that might be is just as much on the refereeing crew that they got as it much as it was poorly officiated game. Up, I mean, but you know, it feels but, like the Seahawks were got the benefit of the doubt on a lot of those, uh, well, on a lot of those penalties, except for the Paul Richardson face mask, except for the Paul Richardson face mask, which is a tough one because I mean, I, I assume the referee was looking at the ball and placement, and sure, didn't want to call. But uh, can we stop every PI. fan base? This is the worst thing about social media is every fan base now. You learn what fans actually think, and it's their team never actually lost. No. It's always the ref's fault. Yeah. It's like, dude, your team scored 10 bleeping points. Your quarterback fumbled inside the two-yard line, you know, going in for a score. Right. Stop blaming the refs, man. Just own it. Your team wasn't good enough. Seattle penalized five times for 46 yards. I love that. It's a great number. All right. We got to go away. We'll come back on Friday previewing Seahawks-Jaguars. The season keeps Increasing in its intensity and its importance. The Seahawks now above an 80% chance to make the postseason. And we wouldn't have thought that a week ago. We'll be back on Friday for Brian Perkins. I'm True Danubi. This is the Game Plan Podcast on 1029thegame.com.